Okay, so my name is Allison Burns. Um, I have been a teacher, educator, lover of students for a little over 10 years. I currently live in South Korea. Um, I'm an instructional coach. We call it an ISS for the federal government for the Department of Defense Education Activity. So I support military connected students and teachers. Um, home actually, to be honest, is probably Japan. I lived there 13 years. My daughter's born and raised there, but um, I'm a military brat myself. So I've lived all over the world, traveled with my parents. When I come back to America, I land in Virginia. So the DMV is where my heart is. That's where my parents are. So that's just quickly a little bit about me. I'm a single mom um, and lover of, lover of God, lover of education, and doer of whatever he has called me to do. Okay, great, great. So a lot of people uh, in the education field, well, I'm not going to say a lot. Some people say they always knew they wanted to be teachers. Was that the case for you or was education something that you found along your journey? Perfect question. Uh, negative. I did not want to be a teacher. Um, I'm actually a 2016 Dodia Okinawa District Teacher of the Year. And um, we went to headquarters. I went back to Washington, D.C. for a TDY and they asked the same question. So there's a video out there on YouTube of me saying I never wanted to be a teacher because teachers didn't make enough money. And I knew like when I was younger, when I was in middle school and high school, like I wanted to make money. I don't know why I had this whole love of money, but um, I actually wanted to work for like the CIA. And then I said I was going to be like an FBI agent. I had all these big dreams. Um, I ended up getting married super young to a soldier at the time, and we moved to North Carolina. He came back from two tours in Iraq. We ended up in Japan. And I have to be honest with you, I was like 20, right? I was still in college. And the opportunity came available to be a special education aide at one of the middle schools. So I said, okay, that'll give me some money to pay for my classes. I fell in love. Like I walked into room 142, Karen Luckenbaugh was the teacher's name and I fell in love. And at that moment, I will not lie to you. Like I changed my whole plan in school and I knew I wanted to be a teacher after seeing her connect with her students. Oh, that's that's beautiful. So how long have you been teaching now exactly? I'm not sure if you. Had I think I'm in my I think that's horrible. I think I'm in my 11th year. Yep. I'm in my 11th year. I sure am. OK, so what has that 11 years been like for you? That journey actually inside of the classroom um, in Japan. So I remember like the first day I had just given birth to my daughter six weeks to the day that I started, like, I actually, funny thing is, I took over room 142. Karen Luckenbaugh got a promotion to the district office. So the classroom where I fell in love with education and teaching, it became my classroom. And so I remember that moment I walked in and I just started crying. It was horrible. It was embarrassing. The kids were like, I had a different name at the time. They were like, are you okay? And I'm like, yes, I'm just like, I'm over overwhelmed with joy. And like that started my relationships with my students. Every year I have learned that relationships, like they are key. Those standards, that curriculum and everything in between is important. But if I didn't have a relationship with each of my students or at least strive to build one, 
Like it didn't matter what I taught them because they were going to walk out of there remembering a little, but I wanted them to remember a lot when it came to how much I loved them, appreciated them and respected them. So I will tell you, teaching has taught me everything, even about being a parent. Like I rely so much on my teaching strategies and my willingness to differentiate from my students. It reminds me when I come into my house with my own child, like she too needs some differentiation, right? Like she needs, she too needs some grace from her mother. And I feel like it prepared me for motherhood, especially single motherhood. But I feel like it just, it made me such a well-rounded individual having to teach a hundred students and then coming home and be able, being able to focus my love on my one child at home. It's been a great experience. Wow. Yes. So I had a question I was going to ask you how motherhood impacted you uh, in the classroom or as an educator, but you kind of circled around and said how teaching affected you at home. And that's just, it's, it's beautiful to see, but uh, I will still uh, pose that question. Um, How has motherhood, your relationship with your daughter, how do you bring that uh, into the classroom? Or does that have an impact on the way that you teach? Most definitely. I mean, my first priority in this life, in this world, is my daughter. And so I remember one time she was super young and I had given my all that day at work, like gave it all. I came in the house. I was tired. I was a little bitter because like Test scores weren't coming in the way I thought that they would because I really felt like I executed that, you know, that lesson or that unit. And I came in and she asked me for help. And she was maybe my daughter went to international school in Japan. So I think it might have been with like some Japanese homework. And I, I just I was tired. Right. And I told her, I'll help you. And then no lie. A couple hours later, I was like, I'll help you. And I remember I tucked her in that night and she looked up at me and said, like, you didn't help me with my homework. Can you help me tomorrow? And it really touched me to in a way that I had to say to myself, like, if I can go to school every day and give my all to my students, to my peers as a teacher leader, to my community, looking at stakeholder involvement, which is really important and special to me, then I need to be able to give, if not the same, I need to be able to top it and give her that same level of attention. And so that really drove me to prioritize, but also compartmentalize. Like I understand now in my 11th year and just being older in life, like if I'm going to give at work, I strive to make sure I still have the energy when I come home to give to her. Now there's going to be days, right? Like where we're tired and her and I both just want to lay on the couch and watch a movie, but we still do something together. I don't leave it all at work. And then I come home and I'm exhausted and I can't be a mom. That's a no-go for me and something I strive every day to make sure that I'm doing the best I can for her. Okay. Okay. Uh, How has COVID changed things um, for you? So let me say um, we're about maybe four or five days over the one year anniversary. So outside of Wuhan, China, I live in Daegu, South Korea. Daegu was the second city like hit 
outside of China, all over the world. And so I remember like we shut down. We were the first American school to shut down. And it was scary. Like you didn't want to move. You didn't want to get on the elevator. You didn't want to go to the store. I mean, it has been a whirlwind. And there have been times where like our local community, but my close friends and especially myself and my daughter, like we just just wondered like why, you know, we wondered like how we can stay safe and how others can stay safe, but then how we can continue learning for her, teaching for me, helping teachers now in my current position as an instructional coach. But I mean, COVID came and it showed us so much. It showed us that we don't, what we thought we needed, generally speaking in education, right? we relied even more on those relationships because here we were super blessed that we had the technology we have in a military community. We had the bandwidth in our Wi-Fi, And if you didn't, like there were things that our school district were willing to do for families. And so we had the means to do the best that we could over this last year. But we know that there are so many teachers and students all over this world that didn't have that same access to materials that, that were needed. Um, for me, COVID taught me relationships, family, and intentionality. All the other stuff that as a teacher, I wanted my students to do when I was you know, in the classroom, especially first starting out, um, all the cute little things that you know, I thought made my lesson. I really worked with our teachers and with my own child and just and being intentional. Like, what do I really need for Ava, that's my daughter, to take away from this lesson? Or what do we really want our seventh grade science students? What standards are the most important that they need to walk away with? Because trying to dump so much on them and trying to keep them on the computers for so long, just so that we could have those quote unquote fun activities, like that wasn't, that wasn't what we needed at that point. Um, and so intentionality has been very important. And I hope post-COVID, whatever that looks like for our world, I hope that more of us in education, we remember intentionality and we plan for what is the most important. That would be key for me. I think COVID has definitely taught me that. Yes, yes. Uh, another question that I would ask you um not really COVID related, but as far as your your day to day life right now in the position that you hold, mm-hmm. um, what is the day to day like? Because I feel like you're very unique and you have a unique experience. It's a it's a great thing what you're doing, and it can inspire many others because so many people may think like education. There's um, the the I hate I hate when people do this. They try to box people in. Oh you won't be able to do this or you won't be able to do that on a teacher's salary. But teaching is really universal. You can do so much in the education mm-hmm. field. So I think it's great what you're doing and it may inspire, it will inspire others. So that person that's in college right now, or maybe even in high school that wants to go into the education field, what is that day-to-day life like for you now? So like I said, I work for the Department of Defense, and um, I will tell you upfront: like I didn't want to leave the classroom. 
Leaving the classroom felt like I was leaving my students. It made me in the beginning feel like I wasn't a teacher anymore. Um, and I'm going to tell you, I'm ride or die for teacher leadership. Like I am a teacher leader. I, I could care less about all of the other things that come with my job. One thing I want everybody to know, like I am a teacher leader. I don't have my own students in my own classroom, but every day the conversations that I have, the decisions that I have to make and the relationships that I continue to build, they affect every single student in the building that I support. So I just feel like it's elevated my level of, you know, like relationship building and it's elevated um, the number of students that I'm able to connect with. I am there to help teachers. I am there to look at data. I am there to help them implement best practices. I'm there to help them look at, okay, let's use my daughter's name, Ava. You know, th these are some areas that I want to help Ava in. So we sit down and we talk about strategies. I go back and do the research because let's be honest, when you have 100 students that you're trying to write to lead, when you're trying to teach them, you might not have all the time to do all of the research. So that's where I come in. Every day I wake up, I walk into that school and I say to myself, like, God, use me, like help me help somebody. And so whether it be a teacher, whether it be a, you know, a student that stops by um, or even a parent at Starbucks, like that seems to be my spot here lately. I'll run into parents and they want to just kind of have some conversations about ways to help their students. But um, or those students that are in college and you're looking at education as being um, your your venture in life, just know that. Once you step foot into the classroom, if you stay in the classroom for 40 years, that's beautiful. If you step foot in the classroom and then you find this belief in you that you can be a school leader, an administrator, assistant principal, principal, that's beautiful. If you say to yourself, you know what, after that, like, I really want to lead a district or I want to go over on the union side of the house to help and protect teachers, it's beautiful. Don't ever let anybody box you in and make you feel like if I leave the classroom, I'm not there for students. We have to be intentional and every day say to ourselves why we're there, whether you're in the classroom or not, because you can be in the classroom and be a teacher and not be teaching. You can be at the district level and be a leader and not be leading. So you have to be intentional about why you're there. And then as you grow and mature in your position, um, you know, you might find yourself being, you know, even more specific in ways that you want to support um, students, teachers, and education. Oh, that's a, a gem right there you just shared. I hope everybody notepads out and they're writing, taking notes, because that's a, a quote there that needs the intention mm -hmm. of your actions and being purposeful even not even just your actions, your thoughts, mm -hmm. your your questions that you pose to people. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're doing this right now. This we're having this conversation. We're building. It's Sunday for you. It's Saturday for me. But we found a way to make this mm -hmm. work because I was willing to reach out. And that's what it's all about. Relationship building and being intentional, being purposeful mm -hmm. with whatever you do in life. Uh, that's that's beautiful. So. 
online instruction has that came into play over there for you all most definitely like you know when when our superintendent told us you know the general of uh this area in korea like when they had to lock it down shut it down we literally had like that one day to ask ourselves like what in the world is happening and then that next day we had a COVID response team at both of our schools here i was a member of that COVID response team and we had to go into the buildings and we had to come up with the plan for instruction and three days later we rolled out the plan now mind you my master's happens to be in um instruction or i should say educational technology with a a focus on in online learning so i was happy to be able to bring some of that to the table. But believe me, we've never been in this situation. So even I, with a little bit of background, we were, I mean, big eyes, like what are we walking into? So when we rolled that out three days later, we definitely had, you know, teachers, myself as a parent, I'm not going to, I'll be very honest with you. I mean, I wanted to pull at my hair a couple of times because we had to figure out what it looked like. And I mean, we were the first district or the first schools in our district and the first schools in Dodia, which is worldwide for military connected kids. We kind of set the, the stage of what that was going to look like. And the two principals that are here that I support, I mean, they led that initiative. Um, I will tell you, we have definitely grown. Um, at the start of this school year that we're in right now, we started out in remote learning because of the number of COVID cases. And so we were able to go back to the drawing board, use what we had last year, modify, update. We definitely asked our community members, our stakeholders for feedback. And we looked at that and we tried to make improvements that would support um, equity in student learning and achievement. Um, we are now face-to-face. -face. We're very thankful for that. There are a lot of COVID um, mitigating strategies that are in place, but we are face-to-face. -face, but we also know that if the time comes for us to go back into online or remote learning, we have a template um, and we are ready to execute at any time. But let me just say, we're praying that we don't have to go back. <laughs> Well, we all that's that's something that we're all praying for. But um, I wanted to also talk about representation in the classroom. That was something that I that I have for you, because I just I see the way even you represent your your organization, your sorority. Mm -hmm. uh, you're, you're proud of that. And I wanted to discuss representation in the classroom on the aspect of black male, black female educators. Um, how important is that representation in the classroom for our students? So I think it's super important. You're actually going to make me kind of, I'm tearing up a little bit just off of the question. Um, you know, I support, I work in a military connected environment. And so our classrooms are diverse. When you look into our classrooms, you see, quote unquote, what people like to call diversity. But just because the classrooms are diverse, does not make them always equitable, right? And just because of what you see, are we honoring the diversity that's in the classrooms? And so that's always been super important to me. I was a young teacher when I first started out. Um, and being a young Black female, I really took the honor of being a teacher. I took it to heart. And 
I connect with all my students. I'll just put that out there. Like, I feel like every student needed to see me for who I was. Not just my Black females, not just, you know, my Asian females, where we, we would honestly talk about a lot of the, the, the struggles in the Asian community even 10 years ago. And now it's even more prevalent, um, some of the things that are happening to our Asian um, American sisters and brothers in the States. But I wanted to portray myself as what my mother told me I was. I was strong, I was black and I was beautiful. And she told me like, the world needs to see you for who you are. And that's the type of teacher that I became. And I have to tell you like, those relationships that I built based on being off my authentic self, I still have those same relationships. I have a student who is currently at Spelman. And um, I mean, she she messages me and tells me the things that, you know, I helped her with or whatever and how I prepared her for a, a diverse world. She is not black. She is a white young woman at Spelman. And she knew walking into her situation, walking into that situation, it might be difficult. People might question the why. And, you know, why did you why did you want Spelman? And she had her answers. And so I was always open with my students. We talked about equity before equity was a buzzword. I mean, we talked about before Black Lives Matter, my students still, and this is what, nine, eight years ago, my students would ask me questions and ask me to be honest. Ms. Burns, at that point, Ms. Snowden, have you ever been called this word, right? Like these were military connected kids who we like to say we have a bubble, but that bubble is often popped. And so I was honest in my stories as a military connected kid and in my stories as a teacher and how, you know, being who I am shaped me in order to be who I am for them. It's all connected. And what you said about your authentic self in the classroom, that's so important for teachers to take into consideration because you can come into the classroom and try to put on a a front for the students, but it'll only go so far. The students can see like right through it. If you, <laughs> you're just not being authentic true. to yourself, because like, if you think about that, if you're not being true to yourself and remaining yourself, how can you be true mm -hmm. to someone else? It's, and it's one thing that I said, if you don't set the bar high for yourself outside of the classroom in your personal life, how are you going to set the bar high for exactly. your students? So it's, like that that I take into uh into consideration while you were in the classroom as a as an educator what was your classroom environment like how did you like set the pace or how the visual of your classroom if you can just describe it some so I can kind of visualize what your classroom so this was is like. so super cliche and when people say this I usually like roll my eyes but like we were a family <laughs> like I'm not even gonna lie to you it was it was a family and I mean visually speaking like you would walk in and it it forever changed like it really was sometimes based on like do I want to say data? Sure. Sometimes my groupings were based on data. You know what? Other times my my groupings, my seat, my flow of my classroom was just based on like what was happening, what was going on. Like if it if I observed a lot happening between the students, disagreements, arguments. I'm a middle school teacher. You know how that goes. 
like I would change the flow of my classroom, the seats in my classroom. One day you might come in and we in a in a large circle and I might sit in the middle of that circle and engage with students, facilitate. I do believe in direct instruction at times when needed, not always. Um, other times, you know, I would have my, my classroom would really move from the four corners of room 142. I oftentimes would say, you know what, we're going outside. I lived in Okinawa, Japan. We call it the tropical island of Japan. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. And so we would go outside in the 90 degree, you know, cool breeze and learn there. Oftentimes we would end up in the, the cafeteria where the stage was because as a U.S. history teacher, I felt it powerful to use theater and drama to teach and facilitate learning of, a, of a, a topic or a subject in our history. And so we would be on the stage. So it really depended on what I was teaching, what the students were learning and kind of what was happening to the family. If we needed family time, like right, Sunday, Saturday, when you eat with your family, typically you had a table together. So if we needed family time, if I saw a breakdown, then we would come together. If, you know, we needed to explore the campus of that school to get out of the classroom because we were a little aggravated or we had a lot happening in, in our heads, our moms and dads deploy. And that's a whole pressure on military connected students to have kids sit in a classroom knowing mom and dad just left on a plane to go somewhere to, to defend us, that's probably not gonna be the day or even the next couple of days where I'm gonna make you sit in desk. It's not, I'm gonna get us up, I'm gonna get us moving so that we can at least have 50, 60, 70 minutes of fun while learning. Because when you leave my classroom, you go back to the reality of this military connected life. That's that's great. Um, wow, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just taking everything in as well. I think not even we have to talk about faith. You inspire, you motivate me mm -hmm. so much. Your posts have helped me out. Some days where it's like. Ah, I just need that extra. And I see some of the posts that you put up and it's just like put things in perspective. So can we talk some about faith, about how that motivates you as an educator? I feel like in the education field, if you don't have faith, that's almost like a, a prerequisite that you have to meet the, this field. But I want you to talk about that song. So although I didn't want to be a teacher necessarily, when I found the the passion for education and for teaching. I feel like God called me to be a teacher. Like, you know, sometimes people say like, your job is what you do, but it's not who you are. For me, I don't agree that that's applicable in my life. My career is education. I am a teacher and I'm a teacher in every move in my life. So when I walk into my classroom, like I always, when I walked into my own classroom, I always felt like I had, you know, like God at the forefront, like you put me here, like you placed me here for a reason and it's to love on these children and to help them 
be prepared. But then at the same time, it's like on, on the right side, it, like I got my mom and my dad, right? And then I have my daughter. You brought up earlier my beloved sorority, like I am a representation of everyone I'm connected to. So first God, second my daughter, every move I make, what I post on, on Instagram, Facebook, all of that is a representation of God and my daughter a representation of my parents, what they prepared me for, how they taught me. And then ultimately, not even ultimately, forgive me for saying that, additionally, my sorority, my students. So I'm not one to, I think I'm a pretty boring person, I'm gonna be honest with you. So like, for me, what you see is truly what you get. Like when I'm needing someone to uplift me, I will intentionally post something to uplift somebody else. Like when I am feeling fantastic or whatever it is, I try to make somebody else feel that same way. And as a teacher, I know how I learn. I know the strategies that help me even at this age. I know the strategies that help me. And so I try to empower my students and I try to help my colleagues and my fellow educators with empowering, you know, others to say what you need. Like faith for me has been everything and it has taught me to speak up. And so if God has placed me there to speak up, every shift in life, every hard time, every difficult time, every honor and every beautiful moment is a teaching moment for myself. But if I'm willing to at least share that with other people, it might help them in those same times in their lives. As you grow into your own purpose, what are some things that you can say? I know like middle school, those are those key transitional years. It's so important in like your, your development. That's where it really starts. Like, who am like, who am I? And you start looking for your purpose. I think students it is it's small seeds planted earlier on on that elementary foundation level. But middle school is where you really start exploring mm -hmm. who you are in self-development. So what advice would you give? Uh, to, because it's not necessarily just students. We know that there's levels of development and there are adults who are still searching for their purpose and looking for that. Uh, what advice would you give to someone who is looking for their purpose? What advice would I give? I think we really have to do some self-reflection. While I'm talking to you, I'm pulling up something that I actually put on Instagram the other day. Um, like, I think we have to do some soul searching. Like, what, what is meaningful to me? What makes me better? What do I love? Where do I spend my time? I think those are very important to know the answers to those questions when seeking your purpose. Because oftentimes we seek our purpose, but we spend our time in areas of life that are pulling us down. So how can I be intentional in seeking my purpose when my time goes to things that, you know, 
are pulling me away or distracting me. So intentionality and time, as you've heard me say, are really important to me. Self-development cannot work when you're trying to stay in character. And so that's something I posted on Instagram. And like I said, when I post, I'm talking to myself as well. Seeking your purpose, you have to be makeup off, and that's not literally um, mask off, not your COVID mask. You need to know who you are before you can seek your purpose. And so do the work on yourself. I am not opposed to talking to people. This is super therapeutic. I don't know if anyone has ever told you this, but talking to you in this manner is very therapeutic. I'm not against talking to friends. I'm not against talking to a counselor. I don't currently have a therapist, but so many of my friends have been talking about this level of freedom that they recently found just by talking to a therapist, by talking to their chaplain, whomever. So I feel like be intentional and find out who you are. What do you have to give? And then hopefully that will start you on your journey of purpose. If you are a believer, your faith oftentimes will, will lead you to not a position, not a job, but why are you here on earth? And so I feel like because of my faith, like I know why I'm here and I just use the, the different avenues of life that God has given me to be able to be purposeful for his will. That's me. <laughs> okay. So as a believer, when you come into a time of trial, how do you respond? That's a really good question. That? Like, I will tell you transparency upfront. Like I need to pray more. <laughs> like I need to, um, Coming from a home where like my father was a super praying man, like I know that when times get difficult, uncertain times, I will I will even lay it on the line and say COVID. I was just I, I was locked away for like three consecutive months in South Korea and was scared. Prayer has really done so much for me, and I know. People of faith, sometimes you say the word meditation and they get a little um, weary of the word, but meditating on those things that I know that I should have my focus on, um, knowing that there's a purpose. And also outside of being like spiritual in context, like I compartmentalize very well. Can I change this situation? If I can't, what is the point of it stressing me out? I tell myself that all the time. If I physically can't make a move, make a shift to stop something and or to change it, whether it be, you know, a situation in education, a situation in my family, a situation in this world. If I can't move my hands or stop a behavior to, to change that, I'm not going to let it consume me because, again, I'm not being intentional with where I give my, my eyesight, my vision, my heartbeat. So if I need to remain or I will remain focused on those things I've been called to do or those things that I can't inspire, I can't be focused on the things that are pulling me away. And I can't be focused on the things that I cannot change 
or I haven't been called to change. I think that's the other thing. Like, I feel like when you when you are in tune with self, I feel like when you do find the areas in life that bring you joy and peace, um, you have to really sit back and say, is this my fight? Because oftentimes, if we want to talk education or not, like we'll step into something that is not your your battle. And so I've been intentional and I don't do it well all the time, but I'm trying to work on being more intentional to determine. Is this the time where I see, say, see something, say something, do something like I'm going to make this um, something that I give my time to or. Is this the time where, you know what, this is not for me to fight. This is not my battle. I can't handle this right now. You got to be even in tune with self. What can you take on at this moment in life? That's great. And I know you probably heard the saying before, the the road to Mm -hmm. hell is paved with good intention. Because so many times um, in As a teacher, you're never just a a teacher. I don't even like the word teacher. That's Mm -hmm. why I use educator, teacher. But you have so many titles. As a male, you may even be big brother. Mm -hmm. You may be a father figure, uh, anything. Like I had a mother drop her son off to the classroom the other day. And the mother straight up told me, you're going to have to play daddy for today. I was like, wow. I was like, she was was very direct (laughs) with it. (laughs) She was direct with it. But. Even when we're thinking about being intentional with our actions or we just want to do, we want to do good. We want to help. I've found recently and it's been through pain. It's been through finding myself burnout, out, trying to do so much for others that sometimes even though you go out on good intentions, you got love for these people, you want to help them. You can cause harm to yourself in that, that process. 100%. And then when you're like, my mother used to always say, you got to take care of home. But like when you're not taking care of yourself, you can't be your best for what is meaningful to you in life. So as a teacher, I always say to uh, the educators that I support, like, please take care of yourself. Like, why are you taking home work over the long weekend? And they'll say, well, I just have so much to do. And it's like, but you also need to sleep. Like, I'm a realist. We have got to do better. And this whole buzzword of like self-care, I understand that it's the meaning behind it. But I don't even want to use the word self-care because I feel like sometimes. Okay, let me stop. Let me tell you this. Calling teachers super, super um, heroes. Like for me, I'm like, nah, I don't want to be a superhero. I don't. I'm a person. Because when you keep labeling as a super, me as a superhero, you expect me to go above and beyond and you expect me to walk through doors and, you know, like be able to rescue somebody out of a burning building. Like you expect me to do all of this stuff in the ed world at the sacrifice of myself. And so as a teacher, as an educator, as an educational leader, we have got to take care of ourselves point blank. Like we have got to go to sleep. We got to drink water. We have to eat lunch. Like the amount of teachers that sacrifice eating lunch 
we're not doing a like we are doing a disservice to our bodies because five years without eating lunch, five years without you know going to the bathroom at the appropriate time and holding like it manifests in our body physically. And I know we laugh about it like, oh, yeah, I haven't even used the bathroom in three years since I became a teacher. And we joke, but I don't think we understand the physical harm that we do to our bodies. And so we have to stop, stop sacrificing self. And I think the best thing we can do is to show our students that we care about our physical bodies because what they see oftentimes, my mother always said, what a child sees is what they will replicate. And so if they see us going hard, going hard, even though it's for them, they internalize, yo, I got to go hard, hard and even harder. No, I need you to say this is a time where I need to take a break. This is the time where I need to do this for myself. And so that's super important that we understand when they see us go hard and not take care of ourselves and burn out, that's what they see. Yes, and I came from a place where I really had to, to build myself up and it was a, a process of, of developing and, and growing into mm -hmm. the man that I am today. But, and I feel like when you come from that background where it's work, 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 put in the work, that care for self can oftentimes get mm -hmm. you know put on the rear end or it's not even, i felt like you were getting on me there i kind of kind of <laughs> took it personal for a second i was like get on me because i'm literally that person that show up that don't have a lunch and i'm not gonna eat the lunch that i'm not saying that i feel like i'm better than what the, the, the food that's being served at the school and mm -hmm. i'm just mm -hmm. not eating that <laughs> i hate mm -hmm. that my students have to eat that but I'm definitely that person and I want to uh, discuss more so the root of things like you were saying, self-care, diversity, all these terms that we hear all the time. And it's just like the term, the term, the term. One thing I learned, uh, this was one of my first classes that I actually took at uh, the university, had a great professor and she was teaching on how teaching is political whether you choose to leave something out or you choose to include something. Some people say leave politics out of the classroom. You take a stance either way by what side you, you choose. So I learned that a lot of times in the education system, you have situations where material can be wrong or the process may be wrong. Instead of scratching it, they try to implement another process to go along with it if that makes sense for example like we say history mm -hmm. this is like the most common one but christopher mm -hmm. columbus mm -hmm. discovered america instead of, instead of correcting the falsehood in that and teaching just a truth it's more so okay we're going to implement or we're going to bring in mm -hmm. indigenous people's day we're going to bring in these other aspects to kind of support and then the students can see a more broader picture but that mm -hmm. falsehood is still there so i just feel like it's so important that we go to the root of these issues why tell teachers 
make sure you take time for self-care. If you're not going to give them the time, if you're still going to keep on assigning, 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 sending emails, sending mm-hmm. them stuff to do on the weekend, like you're telling them to take time for self-care, but you're not even. 100% not agree with you. And you, you made mention of something. And let me just clarify, because remember, I told you what I say. I'm, I'm saying to myself, too. I show up without a lunch. <laughs> Like, so it ain't like I'm talking about me because I know I even have to do better. I'm the chick that'll go all day and then like run to the bathroom because I've had seven meetings and I've been sitting at the computer for the past five hours. So let me just say, like, I'm telling you from experience and I'm getting, you know, I might be getting a little older. Um, and I've had my doctor say to me, like, you have to take better care of yourself. You have to eat better. You can't just rush, like you said, even eating like from the cafeteria. Like there are some things I my body can't process, but I'll go and grab something real quick just to say I ate. Well, that's still not taking care of myself if I'm eating food from the cafeteria that I know doesn't work well with my body. So please, for any educator, anybody that's listening, just know that I am a work in progress and I find it beneficial to like say those things that I know I struggle with Um, because I'm going to listen to this and I'm going to critique myself after all of this is over. And this is going to preach the message back in my ear. Like, Allison, you claim you weren't doing good in this area. So I'm going to sit down and be intentional. I can see myself doing it and make some bullets. Like, what am I going to do to ensure I'm taking better care of myself so that you know, the teachers that I, I work with, my colleagues, um, the students that see me every day, like I want them to see my best self and I want my child to see my best self. Um, getting back to kind of what you're saying, the root of all of it, the root oftentimes brings up conversations, discussions and feelings that people don't want to have to have and or recognize. And so it's easier to gloss over or to add in something additional to make someone feel included and or appreciated versus, like you said, getting down to the root of it. If what we are teaching is a fallacy, if what we are teaching is not true or if what we are teaching is. um, I'm trying to use my words wisely. If it does cause some individuals, whatever way, to feel a certain type of way, why can't we have those conversations? And I feel like, you know, just our history books alone, um, they they every time they're printed, they're still printed with things that have been proven to be false. Um, But we continue to have these books that we have to teach from. And that's why when you asked me earlier, representation is so important. Representation, not only with people, right? Representation with books. Curricular, like when that group sits down at whatever level, state, district, county, local, it's so important to look at the list of books that are provided to our educators for our students. And I think if we all sat down and looked at the books, like there could be great conversations had about equity and diversity. Um, You matter in your classroom. I matter in classes and in my school. We can be there and we can be representing, but if the, the materials that we're using 
I feel like that is as powerful as the people in the buildings. And those are the conversations because it connects to, to money, to budget, all of that. It just, those seem to be the conversations that a lot of people aren't willing to have. And I know that there are some amazing educators out here um, in our world um, using their platform on social media to really bring awareness to standards, curriculum, to textbooks, especially, and how they are doing a disservice to students across America. One last question for you. Looking forward and foresight, I would say, what do you want your legacy to be as an educator? I have this big, I have like the biggest smile on my face. I've never been asked this question. Okay. In 50 years, I want my students from now until then to be able to say and beyond to be able to say that Allison Burns was a giver. She was a listener. She was compassionate. She had passion for what was important to her as well as her students. She was a community member that looked at service to all mankind. She was a great mom and she empowered people to stand in their truth, speak their truth and to facilitate some good trouble. I think that pretty much sums me up and I want people to remember me that way. That's great. I really appreciate, and you bring so much value. This was a great conversation, a great opportunity to be able to build with you. I really I appreciate you. I thank you for you the opportunity. On. And I want to tell you every day I see something that you post, like you said about me, you fill my bucket. And I honor you and the work that you're doing, and I support you. And I just want you to know that you are changing lives every single day by your posts, by your words, by your actions in your community, and by your leadership in your school. And I truly, truly um, applaud you uh, for everything that you are doing and working towards.